0: Hello listeners, Jordan here. I just want to let you know that you can listen to Nighttime early and ad-free on Amazon Music, included with Prime.
1: You are tuned to the Nighttime Podcast, focused on the fringe of Canada.
2: I'm RCMP Constable Ray Shelton. I'm an investigator with CARE, which is mandated with investigating unsolved homicides and vulnerable missing persons. Right now, we're asking for the public's assistance, your assistance, in solving one such investigation. This is the missing persons case of Amber Tuckerell, a 21-year-old female who went missing in August of 2010. On August 17, 2010, Amber flew from Fort McMurray to Edmonton with her female friend and Amber's 14-month-old son. After arriving at Edmonton International Airport, the three booked into a motel room here in Niskew and spent the night. In the early evening of August 18, 2010, Amber left the hotel room to find a ride into the city of Edmonton. We know that Amber got into a vehicle with an unknown male. While in that vehicle, Amber received a phone call and through investigative means, we have obtained a recording of that phone call. That recording includes the voice of the unknown male driver of the vehicle. To date, that individual is unidentified.
0: So, so Tyler, I guess both of us for the last you know week and a half have for the most part been eat, sleeping, and breathing Amber Tuckero. I've gone pretty deep down the rabbit hole reading as much as I could find about her case. How has your experience with it been?
3: Yeah, I've pretty much done the same thing. Uh, I've gone down a rabbit hole, and then there's a lot of elements I think we need to talk about.
0: Yeah, it's like when I first came to this case, all I really knew about it was it involved a missing person and that there was a phone call that was thought to have been you know, a recording made of her and likely her abductor or the person responsible for her death. Uh, and that was kind of how we were going into this. But then pretty much as soon as we started... This case all of a sudden was back in the spotlight because some random person basically made a Facebook post, I believe, saying, "You know, I know the voice in that recording; that it's my father, and he's responsible for, you know, Amber's murder." Is basically what he said. But we'll we'll, we'll get into this. But it was just really weird to start researching a story and have the whole thing just kind of come alive again. It was it was really bizarre, but. Yeah, th- throughout all my research, I don't know if you've had the same experience, but what I found that kind of surprised me a lot was there just wasn't a lot of information about Amber Tuckero's life. Basically, what I was able to learn about her is that she was a 20-year-old woman, uh, originally from Cree First Nation, but at the time of her disappearance and murder living in Fort McMurray, Alberta. Uh, she was a young mother. She had a 14-month-old son. At the Well, 14-month-old at the time of her murder. His name is Jacob. And beyond that, I know that she loved to sing and loved the music. And I know about that because several articles reference the fact that she told her mom that one day singing and music uh, is going to make her famous and her face was going to be on billboards all over town. At the time, I'm sure she would have no idea of the context that would get her face to all these billboards. So it's kind of a a tragic kind of detail and learning about her life. Were you able to put much together about Amber, you know, aside from the events
3: surrounding her, her murder? uh you know i think you got most of the details there uh i got the impression uh you know her mother and her family seemed to really care about her she seemed like a really ambitious young woman uh there's not a lot of detail um you know surrounding her uh or i guess her past uh, you know it's more more of the focus is on what happened to her and and kind of the investigation in, into her case
0: mm-hmm. and i guess it Maybe it makes sense because, like, her mother who goes by Tootsie, I'm thinking that must be her mother's nickname. A lot of what's written and, and known about Amber came from her mother, whose motivation was getting the story out there, but also in doing so, getting the recording with the man's voice out there in hopes that somebody would identify that voice and, you know, and hopefully that would lead to. Information that would solve Amber's murder. But anyway, with that being Tootsie's motivation, I guess it doesn't really it's not that relevant to share too many intimate details of Amber's background because it doesn't seem like anything about her had had come into play with this crime. It seems like, what, what what I've been able to learn about it, it seems like it's completely a crime of opportunity and it could have been anyone who, you know, was the one thing that seemed to happen that put her at risk was the fact that she was likely hitchhiking. But anyway, we'll, we'll get into that. But it just seems like any trouble Amber may or may not have had in her past didn't seem to come into play at all regardless.
3: No, I think you're, I think you're absolutely right. I think, uh, I think her backstory is less important in terms of the circumstances leading to her disappearance. I think, you know, it is nice to know a bit of a backstory about some of these people because I think it does humanize them sometimes in a way that, that some people, um, you know, maybe don't do as much with these cases, but, uh, but I think, I think there's enough information out there that, you know, you really do feel really terrible for the family and, and for her, um, cause you know, obviously she was her, her remains were found that, uh, yeah, you re- you really do get emotional. And, and I think it's, it's the circumstances around her disappearance that are definitely the most confusing and, and perhaps uh, frustrating in terms of there not being any new leads. Yeah. Well, those
0: disappearance, those details surrounding the disappearance, we'll get to that now. We'll, we'll basically, we've learned a lot about the story. We'll take some time and basically start at the beginning and go through it. Okay, so the, the story of, of Amber's initially her disappearance uh, begins on August 17th, 2010, 10 years ago at the time of our recording. Amber flew from her home in Fort McMurray, Alberta, to Edmonton. She brought along her 14-month-old son, Jacob, and she brought a female friend along with the trip, uh, along for the trip. My understanding is they were going to spend the weekend in Edmonton, and they were going to save some money by staying outside of the city. They stayed at a place called Nisku Palace Motel in a place called Nisku, which I believe is just outside of Edmonton, uh, I think very close to the airport that they arrived at. Again, my understanding is they were there for a medical appointment. Did you encounter any information to tell you why they were there? I I had a hard time finding finding even that it was one article referenced a medical appointment that I could
3: find. Yeah, it seemed pretty vague. Uh, It sounded like maybe just having a maybe for an appointment. Also, maybe just having a weekend in in a in the big city. Uh, You know, Fort McMurray is not that large and doesn't have the (laughs) same amenities or. Uh, liveliness that Edmonton would have so to me I got the impression it was more of a weekend away to get into the big city whether it was for an appointment or to you know check out the sites of the city I'm not exactly sure but I would say I, I don't think there was any strange reason for wanting to go to Edmonton I think it was like let's get out of Fort McMurray and go to the city for a weekend and have a bit of a yeah. getaway maybe get some maybe get some appointments or some other stuff out of the way um, but it seems pretty harmless I think.
0: Yeah, definitely. So they arrived on the 17th of August. It was the next day that Amber goes missing. So basically what I understand was the next day, the 18th, in the evening around seven o'clock, Amber decided she wanted to, I guess, leave a little bit earlier than planned and get to Edmonton. So she left her son in the care of her friend and she decided she was going to hitchhike there. I found this part of the story a little weird. Like I'm, as a father myself, I couldn't imagine doing that. But I guess people live different lives and like I've never I I don't think I've ever hitchhiked before. So maybe I'm not the right person to know what's normal or not in this context. But regardless, on the eighteenth, Amber decided I'm gonna go ahead, I'm gonna hitchhike to Edmonton. My fourteen month old son Jacob will stay with you, my female friend. And Amber then was seen leaving the hotel by her friend and getting into a vehicle sometime between seven and eight p.m. the day after she arrived. So we're now on the 18th of August. Um, the, a description of this car was never was never shared. Maybe the RCMP is keeping that close for a reason. But I do know that it was. It's been said so many times that her friend actually saw her getting in a car.
3: Yeah, um, I think it's also just to go back to her deciding to leave. I think it's bizarre too because, I mean, maybe her friend, that's the reason she came with, with her was just to watch her son so she could go into the city um and you know do her appointment and then come back but why would you leave at seven eight at night to go in for an appointment when nothing's going to be open um and you know are you coming back the same night so I agree there's something a little fishy about that um mm-hmm. I don't we don't really know I I don't think anyways from what I read what or why why she wanted to go into the city so urgently that night um but uh, anyways like you said I, I think it is confirmed she did she didn't have any other way to get to Edmonton, so she got into someone's car. Either she met someone or she was hitchhiking, um, and then uh, you know she was under the impression that this individual was going to take her into the city.
0: Yeah, and that's really like this is the point where this story really gets gets weird. Is for about two years after this. Incident with Amber getting in the car, she was never seen again. She was a miss. She was reported as a missing person, and this whole other story will unfold. We'll get into later, but the the police basically fumbled over the case, had her name added and removed to the missing persons list. It was actually Amber's mother Tootsie who had to go to pretty great lengths to get. Amber's name re-added to a missing persons list. But anyway, for about two years after she was last seen getting in this car to hitchhike to Edmonton, there was no sign of her, um, at least none known publicly. But that would all change, and this case would become very well known just about two years after this event when the police uh, would would release a 61-second clip of a telephone call That includes Amber and the male voice in the car that picked her up. The call was recorded just as she got into the vehicle, it seems, based on the timeline. Uh, The clip is said to be 17 minutes long, although only 61 seconds of it were, were released. But what you hear in those 61 seconds is, at least in my mind, knowing the way this story ends for Amber, that is some of the most chilling 61 seconds of audio. So, before we get into discussing the case any further, let's listen to the majority of that 61 second clip. And again, just to give context, this is Amber in the car, likely that uh, in the context of hitchhiking.
1: Where are we by? We're just heading south of Beaumont. Uh, We're north of Beaumont. We're heading north of Beaumont. Yo, where are we going? Just no, this is a... Road. Are you fucking kidding me? Why not? You, not take, you better not take me anywhere. I don't want to go. I want to go into the city. Okay. Yo, we're not going into the city, are we? No, we're not. Then where the fuck are these roads going to? 50th Street. 50th Street. Are you sure? Absolutely. no where are we going? 50th Street.
2: Fifth
1: Street. 50th street. 50th
0: street. East street. <laughs> <laughs> Knowing how this story ends, that that's a hard clip to to listen to.
3: Yeah, it really is. Um, you know, it's it's very telling um, once you know some of the story, which I know we'll get into. But you know, right off the bat, it's pretty clear that the driver is is probably not taking her north towards Edmonton. He's taking her south, uh, somewhere away from the city, with uh, what we can only assume is bad intent. Um, I think. I, I until we know anything further, I think it's pretty safe to say. Um, the person who was in the car with her, who picked her up and was driving her probably, I, I would put money on that. That person knows what happened to, to Amber or had something to do with it. So it does make it very, very chilling to listen to.
0: Yeah, definitely. And I find you can hear in her voice that she's aggravated. You can hear in his voice that he's completely dismissive to what she's saying. Like, exactly. She's saying, you know, what's with these back roads? Like, I want to go to the city. And, you know, and he just doesn't seem to want anything to do with discussing it with her. But anyway, when this when this call first was released, there was not really any context given other than this was thought to be some of Amber's last known moments and they wanted to identify this voice but it was actually CBC that shared more information they CBC managed to somehow figure out where the call had come from because the police weren't sharing that initially what it is is the call was made by um, Amber's brother was in prison he called Amber uh, she must have answered the phone but all calls coming and going from prison, from like the inmate phones are recorded. So what we're hearing is Amber's brother in prison is listening in on this. But I think when I listened to that call, I think, I don't know if Amber had the phone up to her ear, but I think she knows her brother could hear because she would say something to the guy in the car and whatever he said back, she was repeating it. Almost like if if I was like, say, talking to you right now on the phone and I asked the person next to me, you know, what's it like outside? And they mumble to me, you know, the weather's good. I would say the weather's good. You know, it's like that was kind of the the flow of the call. It seemed like she was trying to relay information. And when I think about that, I think if I just wonder if she knew what was going on and she was maybe thinking like this was her last chance to say where she was or who she was with or something like i i know we only hear a short part of that 17 minute call but that tells me the police know a whole lot more than what the public does about this
3: well yeah and that's the interesting The also a 17 minute call from your brother in prison and the audio that you, they decided to play for the public doesn't Like, I mean, they probably cut the brother out because he obviously he's in prison and has nothing to do with it. But it's a little strange that her brother would call her from prison and she would pick up like that in the car with a stranger and then, you know, have that conversation. And it leads me to think that if the call lasted for 17 minutes, what we're hearing is definitely near the end of the call. Um, And she's starting to realize that like, oh, no, 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 we're not going into the city and I'm in trouble. And I think you really see that with the end part when she's like, she says gravel, meaning we're going on gravel roads. Uh, and that's when the call cuts out or that's when the that's when the audio cuts out. I, I don't know if that's the end of the call, uh, but it sounds like it, it's pretty close to the end of the call. So I think it's, you know, you really, you do hear the, the driver's voice um, quite well in that clip. And I think maybe that's also why the RCMP chose it is uh, they want to identify the person. And uh, if she was talking to her brother a lot, it's kind of weird that, and like you said in the clip that was pl- played it's her relaying information so I think it's fair to say that she didn't maybe know what was going on whether this guy was taking her somewhere else or um, was going to harm her in some way it's tough to say but I think she definitely knew regardless um, he had different intentions and, and she was in trouble.
0: Yeah it's hard to hear what they're saying and, and some of the clips that you see on like youtube and stuff subtitles are added it's a lot easier to uh, to follow the video with subtitles so for people anyone who's listening to us there'll be links in this episode's notes where you can like click and see the full video with subtitles but it's um it's pretty obvious she knew something was up but i don't know if that 17 minute call will ever be released Probably not. Yeah, and I don't know if it needs to be, because really it was released as a way to say, you know, this, do you know this voice, this male voice in the car with her? In yeah, and I, I agree. I think a lot of what they chose as far as the segment of the clip they release is segments where you can really hear him saying saying things to her. Like you can hear his voice and his voice, like it's not, it's not crazy unique, but it's, he has his own sound. Like I'm really surprised that, Nobody was that, that they weren't able to find this guy, but maybe that's harder to do. You would think that there'd be some means that like, you know, like the investigators would have to better narrow this down. But his he doesn't really have a thick accent in any in any way. So there's not really much you can do other than just I just place him as a a white middle aged to older man, like I'm, in listening to him, I'm thinking, you know, forty to sixty year old white male is what I hear.
3: Yeah, I think that's pretty safe to to say too. That's kind of what I hear. I think, uh, you know, I think he probably didn't talk very much in the call because if she was talking to her brother, um, he, you know, he's a stranger, so we presumably he's a stranger, so he's not gonna know anything about um, the situation and who she's talking to, and then it's only that she kind of realizes they're not going the right way. That, um, you know, she starts relaying info to the brother, which is really interesting is we don't hear the brother's voice. And I think maybe they cut that out so that we could hear him better, probably. Uh, but I always okay. thought, you know, it's, it's it's it would be really interesting to hear the brother's reaction and what he's saying to her as well. But I think you're right. I think they, they picked the right uh amount of the clip that was probably the most important and it is surprising they haven't identified the man but then again it's not like there's a voice database somewhere where you could compare this audio to anything so unless you get this person in a room uh, and even then if you get them in a room and you play a recording like who's to say it's going to be 100 percent accurate i mean maybe there is some way to do that and there's some forensic way to do that but um, it seems very, very difficult. And he doesn't really say that much. Um, you know, mm-hmm. it's not like you and I right now, who people listening to this now have, uh, you know, over 20 minutes or close to 20 minutes of audio. That, you know, if they ran into us and played, played the recording and, and we're talking to us in person, they could probably figure it out that, yeah, okay, this is Tyler and Jordan. But, you know, in a 61 second clip where, you know, he only probably talks for maybe 20 seconds of the clip it it would be pretty tough um i think people did come forward claiming they knew who it was um before this latest person um and the police said that they investigated all of those um leads and they they turned up nothing basically so i think some people did think they'd recognize the voice but um apparently it didn't lead to to any solid leads or or any suspects or people of interest anyway
0: yeah, well what I read actually is three different people came forward shortly after the release of this tape all pointing towards the same guy and they were, you know, they swore like we know this voice, we know the guy, he's from the area, but uh the police very quickly ruled this person out. I don't know what what they did to rule this guy this this man out, but they um a lot of people pointed the finger in one specific direction, but the police were confident that this wasn't the guy responsible. I do think that the whoever is in this recording though, I don't think this is the first time they did something like this. I think he sounds pretty calm and collected. If anything, he seems kind of annoyed by her in the car. Like I, I it doesn't seem like he's this psychopath who's broke from reality doing something insane. Like he, he seems like he's pretty uh like he's kind of in his element i feel like in the call what do you what do you think of this guy's mannerisms in the from what you hear on the phone call
3: i think it's fair to say that this person knows what happened to amber uh and was probably involved but you know until we find out what happened um you know we can't definitively say this person killed her right so um that's kind of tough because again, there's not a lot to go off on the call. He doesn't really say much. Um, I think the one big thing is you can tell he's he's lying and deceiving her because I mean, within the first few seconds of the clip, I think it's like the first thing that he says in the clip is that we're going uh, we're going south, and then he's like, no, no, no we're going north towards uh, I think it's 50th Street. And uh, if you look at a map, uh, Nisku is actually uh, south of Edmonton, so. When he say they were going south, he's, they're actually heading away from Edmonton, uh, and then he corrects himself and says north, which is the direction he should have been going. So I think right away with that, and then you know when she says the gravel road, where are we going? Why are we taking back roads? Um Clearly, he's he's not going the correct way, uh, and there's no reason for him not to. When you look at a map, the highway's right there. It's a straight shot into Edmonton. It's not it's not difficult to navigate, especially for a local. So I really get a, a sense that, like you said, maybe this person wasn't their element, um, had kind of nefarious purposes, and um, that's why I think the call is so chilling. I, I think you are really hearing probably some of Amber's last moments, which is which is really really sad. Mm-hmm.
0: Now, the next, I guess, um, piece in this timeline. So she goes missing August 18th, um, 2010. Two years later, the police released this audio clip. Still, there's no sign of Amber. However, days after this audio clip is released, I, I don't know if it was exactly four days, I believe. I think it was. Yeah, it was four or five days. It wasn't very long. Yeah. And regardless, after a very short amount of time, police do make a major break in the case at, when they find Amber's remains.
4: This is uh, Staff Sergeant Gerard McNeil. That's G-E-R-A-R-D-M-A-C-N-E-I-L. I'm the unit commander at CARE. Uh, I bring you here today and I uh, thank you very much for coming. Uh, the RCMP... RCMP confirmed today the human remains found on a rural property near Duke, Alberta on Saturday, September 1st, 2012, are those of Amber Alyssa Tuckerow, who has been the subject of an RCMP missing person investigation since her disappearance in August 2010. There is no connection between the latest discovery and the audio tape we released last week.
0: What did lead you hear, if you could say?
4: Yes, a group of people were here horseback riding, and uh, they were on the trails near here, and they looked down and they appeared to see human remains. It was, in fact, a skull. Uh, they went to their residence and immediately contacted the RCMP at the Duke.
2: How would you describe the area that we're in here? Is this a secluded spot? Is it uh, heavily wooded? or
4: I would suggest to you that this is very typical for the Alberta landscape. It's obviously farm property uh, with uh, wooded areas along the perimeters of the property. Did ever see if RCP have any clue as to who this man is on this recording? Do you uh, have your suspicions? Uh, no, we only have what, uh, you know, we have the voice and uh, we have tips coming in. Uh, people, you can imagine, are uh, imagining that uh, it may be someone they know and we have to investigate that.
1: Is he still a person of interest, not a suspect? Or?
4: He's still a person of interest, yes.
0: Tyler, we just heard the uh, the. Basically, the original press conference there when they they announced the finding of of Amber's remains. What I found most shocking about all this is just the the time, like you know, four days after releasing that call, which basically captivated the nation. That was big news for a couple days there. Some horseback riders found you know her remains in a field, and you know, I think it was just kilometers away from. Where she was, uh, where she got in the car, you know that hotel there. Another thing as well is like the the getting back to that phone call, we heard sixty one seconds of a seventeen minute call. What I've seen um, written in multiple places is that where her body was found was about a seventeen minute drive from the uh, where she got in the car outside the hotel. So I think it's pretty safe to say that she was found very she she was found where her life ended. Right after that phone call ended is what I think happened. What are your thoughts on that?
3: Yeah, I think it's pretty safe to say you just look at a Google map and you look how far NISQ and Laduke is. And it's like, yeah, it's roughly a 20-minute drive. Um, so, yeah, I think I think that's very fair. And I think when you see that and you know that, then you listen to the call. That's what's really uh, ominous and, and scary is that uh, you are literally probably listening to some of the last words she ever spoke. Yeah. And the case at
0: this point, unless there's a lot more behind the scenes happening, not much has changed. There hasn't been much progress in the case. A lot of what's been written and said about it comes out in the form of criticism of how the police handled this. And specifically criticizing the fact that it's another indigenous woman who didn't get much attention in... Had a case basically ignored like her Tootsie, Amber's mother, basically, as I said in the intro to this, she had to fight tooth and nail just to keep Amber's name on a missing persons list. Apparently, what I read is that the police, they just would never didn't seem to really be taking it seriously. After her disappearance, they assumed she was like partying in Edmonton and living on the streets and she'll call eventually. But her mother from the very beginning knew that there was, you know, there was no chance that Amber was going to leave her her son behind with a friend
3: and just just take off. Yeah. Within the first 24 hours, when when they reported her missing, their police like basically were quoted as saying she's probably just out partying. She'll turn up uh, or she'll call eventually. And then, I mean, you look at what happens after that and, like, what, is it within a month she's removed from their their online missing persons database? Um, Yeah, which is just bizarre. Yeah, and then after nine months they they allegedly or apparently destroyed all of her belongings from the hotel room without cataloging them into evidence or giving them to family. Like, I I really think the investigators, the initial investigators especially... um, really, really dropped the ball here uh, in a really mm. terrible way. And, um, you know, I think it is it is easy to suggest that, um, you know, this is just another incident of the RCMP not potentially caring about another missing or murdered Indigenous woman. Um, I don't know if it's – I don't know if this is – you know, I think there probably is a bit of a systematic problem, but it, to me it sounds like uh, at a very basic level these investigators were – Pretty incompetent um, early on, and I think that probably stalled and really was a detriment to the investigation as a whole. I don't know what you think, but i i, th- I get the I get the feeling that if they had done a better job uh, from the very beginning, there would probably be more answers right now.
0: Yeah, and and I just feel like what every family deserves is when you report a family member as missing. Like that should be a really big deal, especially just what we know about this case is she's at this hotel with her 14 month old son and a friend like that would just seem like a really weird time to run off and party for a few months. I, it just to me, it screams, you know, something happened. And then that the whole thing you had mentioned there, I guess what I what I learned is that the things that Amber had with her were kept in the hotel for about nine months And then were just destroyed. They weren't archived. They weren't photographed. They weren't offered to the family. They just destroyed her stuff. And her brother brought that that fact up at, um, I believe, there was a a press conference or maybe it was an inquiry into missing and murdered indigenous women, I believe, is where he brought it up. And he spoke about about Amber and brought up the fact that, that they destroyed her stuff. That just seems really awful. But... I guess as a way to illustrate how bad this investigation was is simply the fact that the RCMP issued an apology and basically admitted that the way this case was handled from the beginning was inadequate, lacked urgency, and, you know, just was ineffective.
3: Yeah. Yeah, I think that's that's a great way of summarizing it. And I think... uh Again, I, I get the sense it was probably the investigators themselves that that didn't do didn't do their job really. You know, they should have collected more evidence. They, um, you know, they, they they should have kept her on a missing persons database, and they certainly shouldn't have assumed um, she was out partying when there was really no evidence to just suggest that. I mean, I've never read anything to to see that she was drinking heavily or doing drugs prior to leaving. I mean, when you listen to the call, she certainly doesn't sound hammered. Um, so I think that's a pretty. Uh, pretty wild that's pretty wild speculation for for formal investigators to, to come up with and to respond with um mm-hmm. so i don't know if it's laziness or inadequacy or a bit of both but um you know they really lacked urgency um in, in a lot of ways and um you know obviously her mom tootsie um took great offense to this and uh i think she did and you can correct me if i'm wrong but i believe she did lodge one if not several formal complaints
0: yeah and I, I well i think it was those complaints that that led to i guess an investigation internally and then the subsequent apology but the apology um didn't do much i don't i've watched a lot of news clips and videos uh during while we've been reading about this and researching it, and I saw several where um shortly after getting the apology, uh, Amber's mom Tootsie basically uh, just was not having it. Like she didn't, uh, she didn't seem very moved by the RCMP's apology. But I guess it's hard to, um it would be hard to accept an apology when the apology is for like, sorry, we didn't you know, do the right thing and weren't able to, you know, solve your, and maybe not able to solve your daughter's murder because of it. That's a pretty big thing to say you're sorry about.
3: Yeah. And I, I think she flat out rejected it. Um, and, you know, I don't think anyone can falter for that. Um, I think, uh, I think when you, when you just look at some of the points we just brought up about the way the case was handled early on, Um, you know, as someone like, I know you and myself, we've, we've covered a lot of these different cases and I got to be really honest. I've never, well, first of all, I've never covered a story where I've seen the RCMP apologize so formally. Um, you know, like you said, I don't think there was probably a lot of, uh, there probably wasn't a ton of sincerity in it. It probably was a bit of, of a formality, but it is impressive that they even issued an apology because the cases that I've covered, I've rarely seen that. Um, and you know, I, I think uh, also just the inadequacies of how this case was handled early on, that's something I haven't seen in, in my tenure as a writer and a researcher who, who was invested in crime um, so it is it is shocking and I, and it's frustrating for for myself who is just an observer. So I can't imagine how her mother and family would feel. It would be infuriating. I would I would imagine.
0: Yeah, and uh, I think a, a lot of the reason they would never apologize is it really sets them up for a lawsuit. And I don't know if that's ever happened, but by them apologizing and kind of accepting that they failed in their duty to you know properly handle this file in this case, it seems like they're really open for a pretty intense lawsuit. And I I don't know if that's happened or will happen. Maybe there had to be something done behind the scenes before they would apologize to, you know, get them out of that situation. Cause, but like in a lot of cases, I'm thinking that's why we don't see apologies is because you don't want to, you know, um, admit an error and then find yourself sued. But
3: yeah. And I'm not sure exactly how that works with, with law enforcement, uh, and whatnot. But, uh, you know, I think if there was, uh, if there was ever an instance to, to pro- potentially think about legal action, you got to think that um, the uh, Tuckero uh, family would have a pretty, pretty legit uh, case. Not that I'm a lawyer or anything, but just from the public optics, um, it, it wouldn't mm-hmm. look good, you would think, for the RCMP. No, definitely not. So we talked about
0: her disappearance, the phone call. The way she was found and, you know, in, in kind of some subsequent uh, things related to the handling that the, the police handling of, of the case. One thing that will always come up when you're reading about this case is speculation that there may be a serial killer active in this area and may be responsible for Amber's murder. The the What really makes that theory float is the amount of dead young women who have turned up within an eight-kilometer radius in Leduc County, where Amber was found? Again, in this eight-kilometer radius, you need to go back quite a few years. Basically, it spans from 2002, with the first the first woman. Her name is Edna Bernard. She was found. Her remains were found in that area in 2002. Going from there to Amber's remains. Or Amber's murder in 2010. Again, you have five women. the The details of the murders are all a little bit different. Four of the five, Amber, the only one who wasn't, uh, were involved in the sex trade, which there's no way to no way around it. That this st- that statistically that puts you at at risk. Sadly, due to the way our laws are structured. But regardless, it just seems a little odd that in an eight kilometer radius that five bodies of were you know were found in that period of time. I don't know what's normal though. Like this is a highway near an airport. Like I don't know what's normal as far as the amount of bodies to be found, but that does strike me as as unusual.
3: Yeah, it is. It is a um, you know, it is a little odd, and I think um, given the remoteness of that area, um, you know, there are a lot of places that you could dispose of a body. So that the fact that there was so many found and within, I think you said an eight-kilometer radius um, is quite interesting. And uh, a lot of the remains have been found around uh, the same time that Tukuro was. You know, two thousand twelve, two thousand fifteen. I mean, uh, two two bodies were found in two thousand fifteen. So. I think putting a theory out there that um, there is a serial killer or there or there are multiple serial killers probably isn't um, unrealistic or unfounded uh, to some extent. I don't know. What do you think about that theory?
0: Man, I, th- I totally think that it holds water. The main reason being, again, th- there's the coincidence of this many women being found in this small area in a rural spot. But more than that, I think it's just the guy's tone in that call. Like, to me, he sounded way too comfortable in, like, kind of aggressively misleading her and being evasive when she was asking him where she was going and stuff. Like, that just seemed like I, I believe he picked her up with the intention of getting somewhere private and doing something horrible to her. And if that person. Unless he just happened to be passing through and decided to do this as he passed through, I like if he lives in that area. I can't imagine that's his first time that he did it. Maybe it was his last. Maybe it was his last time because this case got so much publicity.
3: Yeah, it could be. I mean, that's that's another interesting, um, you know. Tidbit as well. Was this the last time? Um, you know, it did get a lot of attention. It's too bad some of these other cases maybe didn't get the same sort of attention. But uh, I think there's definitely some credence to uh, one or two people being involved in some of these disappearances and, and these murders. Um, you know, I think it kind of you know reminds me of it reminds me of the highway of tears a little bit. Um, you know, in that there's been a lot of missing women, uh, a lot of missing indigenous women, uh, not just indigenous, but a lot of them indigenous. Uh, and it seems like in this part of, uh, Alberta, there's, there's been quite a few as well. Uh, and there's been theories up at the highway of tears that it's one or two people, or again, I could see, you know, it's a big, it's a, there's a big highway that runs from Leduc, uh, through Niska, uh, into Edmonton. So maybe there's transient people, um, who come and go through there and, and, you know, they prey on opportunity. I mean, that's something that I could certainly see being a possibility. I mean, I don't, I'm pretty sure that if she'd gotten in a truck that night, like a really big uh, 18 wheeler that um, her friend would have noticed that. Um, So it doesn't sound like the trucking theory that is kind of a theory on the highway of tears maybe um, applies here, but I mean, we can't really rule it out. Can we, we don't know enough, um to really to really say i think what we can say is that there have been a lot of missing women um found in this area and actually i was going to ask you because i don't know this do you know how many of the women um that were found around the were, duke were indigenous i believe um four of the five wow well were, were, that's i believe that's really sad but also Uh, really interesting because uh, that's like I said that kind of is very similar to what's gone on along the Highway of Tears uh, in northern BC so um, yeah I I don't know I I would probably lean towards suggesting that it's all five women were not murdered by different people I I would say there's um, probably a pattern um, and uh, if someone could kind of crack that and figure out um, you know what they maybe all had in common that might shed some light on this as well.
0: Yeah. I believe that the person on the phone call killed Amber, and I just do not believe that this was the first or last first and or last time that he did it so the fact that there were other bodies found in that area it just seems likely that this same voice was involved in some or all of them that's that's the way I see it but. I'm sure the police know a lot more. They have 17 minutes of that call as opposed to the 61 seconds that we have. Uh, And who knows, like behind the scenes, these cases could have other suspects that they know are unrelated to Amber. So it's all speculation, but I am certain that this person did it and it wasn't their first time. There's just no way he's he's too comfortable in what he's doing.
3: Yeah, and I think one last thing, uh, you know, and this is maybe, again, a lot, a lot of this is conjecture, but if you, you know, when I pulled up a map of where Nisku was, because I, or even Laduke, I, I had no idea. Like, I knew it was near Edmonton, but I'm not from Alberta. I haven't been to Edmonton. So, I pulled up a map, and then, as I'm looking at it even right now, if you kind of pull out from the Nisku, Laduke area, and look at how remote and isolated a lot of these communities are around, you know, northern Alberta... I mean, who's to say that there's not more remains that investigators people haven't found that could be linked to the same people? Like, It's not like this is a heavily metropolitan populated area. It's outside of a big city, and the next biggest city is like uh, like kilometers, hundreds of kilometers south, Red Deer, Alberta. So um, I think it's totally possible that this could be... um, you know, it could be an area that some people go to try and find crimes of opportunity. It's remote. Um, There's a lot of probably young transient people that go through there. Um, Again, conjecture, but I I don't think it can be ruled out. And I I do think the geography is important.
0: Yeah. And it's like Amber, she was there for two years before anyone had found her. And she's only, you know, a short drive away from the hotel she was staying at. So if, if she went that long, like if What's to say that these five women found are, you know, are, aren't five of twenty-five that are in that same radius in that same area? So it's, yeah, I, I don't know. I I think it's it's hard to to decide what's what's happening. But again, I'm just confident that this guy did it and has done it before. Um, now, the what we should get into, I suppose, is. This new lead, which kind of came out and didn't really go anywhere, but basically the story is, some person basically created a Facebook post stating that they're, um, they're they haven't been in touch with their dad for years, but they know their dad is the person respo- the person recorded in this audio uh, in the phone call with Amber. Uh, They made that post very quickly. The post just blew up, basically went viral being shared and people discussing it. It led to a lot of mainstream articles um, being written about it. And I'm even like, I'm a member of a a Facebook group that's run by people working closely with Amber's mom. And even, even like everybody involved in the case was just like a buzz when this lead came out. But very quickly, when the exposure got pretty big, the person deleted the Facebook post. And then what has come out since is that this doesn't seem to be the first time that he's thought his father was uh, involved in a in a missing persons case.
1: RCMP are investigating a tip from a man who believes his father was involved in the death of Amber Tuckero. Police confirmed they were investigating after the man made the claim in a widely circulated social media post. It has since been taken down. The man alleged his father may also be involved in a number of other missing persons files. The RCMP say many of those cases have already been solved.
0: That's a pretty bold statement to make and claim to make. But at the same time, this is a high profile case. And there's no way around the fact that people try to include themselves in these stories for, I don't know why, but for a variety of reasons. So whenever you take, you know, the the big story like jean Bonnet Ramsey or something, people just seem to pop up out of nowhere and try to find a way to, you know, um, involve themselves in it. So I'm not saying that's what he did, but I would just I would by default have some doubts just because I would fear that that could be someone's motivation.
3: Yeah. And what I, um, what I'm starting to see the more I, I, talk about these missing persons cases and, and these, these murders and these crimes is that sometimes this public information that becomes public really quickly. Like I like what you said about why didn't this person go to law enforcement first? Because I actually think if this person isn't telling the truth or maybe they think you're telling the truth, but they're just wrong. I mean, this could be actually more harmful to, to this investigation than it could do any good. I mean, that's assuming that, you know, what what he's claiming with his father isn't true. Uh, it could be. We don't know. Um, but it doesn't sound very promising. But I guess what I'm saying is that a lot of these things, um, people seem to post these accusations or these theories on on Facebook and social media and I don't know. Sometimes I, I it actually kind of irks me a little bit because I'm like, you know, if you think you actually know something and it's not just, um, you know, you spouting some theory based on the limited research you've done, you know, you should be going to law enforcement and you should be going to people who are responsible for investigating these things. I can maybe understand how in this case, given the the, the public nature of which the RCMP has admitted um, some mishandling of this case, maybe why someone would be hesitant, but I still personally believe um. That it's not it's not us as citizens' place to um, take new information and interpret it uh, to help solve these crimes. I think that's the job of law enforcement. Um, you know, we have the responsibility to spread the information as accurately as possible in hopes that. Um, you know, we can share information, and that people can become educated and aware, and and hopefully, you know, help break a case open. I mean, that's the journalist in me talking, but um, yeah, I, I do think um, I understand the hesitancy, perhaps, but I I still think this person should have, like you said, gone to the police first. Yeah, and we don't know that they didn't. True, maybe that's the a good point.
0: Take them. Maybe yeah. the police didn't take them seriously, so they went on. They went public, media and like. Yeah, so we we don't know, but uh, but. Regardless, the information's out there, and if it's true, then, you know, the police are on it. If it's not true, then it just created a big distraction and likely led to Amber's mother from having a bunch of really bad nights. Like, I can't imagine, like, when when these, like, kind of tips and stuff, especially ones that are this public, when you got every media source in Canada reporting on it one afternoon.
3: Yeah, and I think that's that's sad as well. I mean, it probably opens up a wound that maybe she's... Uh, I mean, probably hasn't closed completely because there isn't... I mean, they have found her remains, but they still don't know what happened or who did it. But I do think that, you know, you got to be careful with these things. And, you know, like you said, I should clarify... Um, you know, maybe this person did go to the police and I, and if they did that's, and they felt the need to take it public, I'm still fine with that. I just, you know, I hope they went to the police first, but cause again, that's a, that's an unintended consequence is maybe opening a wound for this family. That's, um, maybe tried to move on a little bit. Um, and now you're, you're maybe, um, you know, you know, you're, you're opening up an old wound and, and, um, you know, making it a very emotional, perhaps uh, trying time for them, um, with maybe some false hope too. We don't know. I mean, I hope something does come of this lead, but I'm not super optimistic at this point that this is a legit lead in this case, unfortunately. Yeah.
0: And I I think really with everything that's been done, the big piece of information out there is still that phone call. Like I think this case will remain unsolved until somebody comes forward with information that identifies the person on the phone call with Amber.
3: Yeah, I think that's uh, I think that's the biggest, most important uh, piece of evidence or clue in this case is uh, is this person's voice. I, I um, you know it's it's tough to say why it hasn't been positively confirmed who it is. Um, you know, it probably maybe would be interesting to talk to someone who does this for a living, um, some sort of audio engineer who does voice comparisons of some sort. But um, yeah, I really hope. Um, you know, with you playing the audio too, even on your podcast, if someone does hear this and maybe thinks they know who it is, um, you know, maybe maybe it'll help break the case wide open, and maybe that's what this thing needs.
2: I
0: want to thank you for joining Tyler Hooper and I in this discussion surrounding the still unsolved murder of Amber Tuckero. If you have any information related to Amber's murder, or you think you may be able to identify the voice heard in that phone call, please contact the Alberta RCMP. Lastly, if you want to stay up to date with this case and the search for Amber's killer, join the Justice for Amber Tuckerow Facebook community. I have a direct link in the episode's notes. And with that, we'll end this episode of Nighttime. But before we part, I'd like to end with some thanks. First, a huge thank you to our guest, Tyler Hooper, for again joining me on Nighttime to discuss one of Canada's many dark stories. Tyler, I'm proud to have had you on the show so many times, and I look forward to when we next do this again. Now, for anyone out there who wants more Nighttime, let me suggest the premium feed. For about the price of a cup of coffee, you can access ad-free early releases of the episodes, as well as the Nightcap After Show, in which I and a guest climb a bit deeper down the rabbit hole you can access the premium feed by visiting patreon.com slash nighttime podcast and with that said i'd like to thank the new members of the group joe andre shelby and the ladies on the not having it podcast thank you for your generous support and for anyone else who'd like to support the show but can't help financially you can give me a big hand by telling your friends about Nighttime and leaving a positive review on Apple Podcasts or whichever equivalent you use. If any of you listening want to stay up to date with my activities on and off the show, follow me on Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram. I use the handle at NighttimePod. And if you have any story ideas or want to give feedback on the show, I'd love to hear from you at NighttimePodcast at gmail.com. And until next time, take care of each other, Hug your loved ones tight, and let me know if you see anything weird.
1: Where are we by? We're just heading south of uh, Beaumont, or north of Beaumont. We're heading north of Beaumont. Yo, where are we going? No, this is a... Are you fucking kidding me? You better not take me anywhere, I don't want to go. I want to go into the city. We're okay. going into the city. Yo, we're not going into the city, are we? we are. We're going no, we're not. Yes. Then what, what are these roads going to? 50th Street. 50th Street. Are you sure? Absolutely. Yo, where are we going? 50th Street. 50th Street? 50th Street. East, right? East. The road is kind of a problem. The Nighttime Podcast is written, hosted and produced by Jordan Bonaparte Copyright Jordan Bonaparte